Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Griefsters. Hope you're having an okay week. Just a reminder that if you are at the Latitude Festival this weekend, we will also be there. By we, I just mean I will be there on the Sunday at one o'clock at the podcast tent, which is called The Listening Post. I'm going to be joined by Tez Ilias, Vanessa Hammock and Tom Allen of Bake Off fame. Uh, we'll be doing a live episode. Uh, if you can't make Latitude, we have two more live episodes coming up in the autumn. September 15th, we're at the London Podcast Festival at seven o'clock at King's Place. Head to their website for tickets. And September 26th, we're going to be at St. Thomas's Hospital doing a, a podcast with their palliative care team. Uh, so head to to the Twitter I think for that website because that one might not be on sale just yet but keep your eyes peeled if you can't make the 15th I'll be somewhere else on the 26th this week's guest is writer producer and director Dustin Lance Black Dustin is probably most famous for winning an Oscar an actual Oscar winner on the show guys uh, for his screenplay for the film Milk Uh, he's worked on an array a huge array of incredibly inspiring and brilliant projects but he's just released a book which is called Mama's Boy which is out now it's about his childhood as a Mormon and his mum and his brother. He talks about that a little bit in the conversation. Uh, he's also married to the diver Tom Daly. That's who he's referring to when we're talking, uh, in case you didn't know. And they have an amazing podcast that actually won the British Podcast Awards this year uh, in association with BBC Radio 5 Live, and it's called Surrogacy, A Final Frontier. It's a really good listen. The other thing that comes up 
in this episode, which I just wanted to talk about, uh, it's come up in quite a few other episodes actually, where we talk about the syringe driver on giving the morphine when somebody's very, very sick. And I'm myself and the guests are often very flippant about it and sort of make the joke that, yeah, you know, they want to give them syringe driver, you know, you know what they're doing, you know what they're up to. And I wanted to apologise for being so flippant because I've had lots of really wonderful emails from incredible hospice nurses who've written to me to say that that just isn't the case. It's not true. And they really want people to understand that that's not true. Uh, When they do give the morphine, the only thing that it's doing is trying to ease some of their pain. They're not trying to hurry along their life in any way at all um and you i know you might be like oh yeah right but no honestly they've all written to me and they're all really lovely and uh, another thing they said the reason that they really really want this myth to be dispelled is some people refuse the morphine because they're worried that they are going, going to suddenly die uh, and it means they're in more pain and it's really horrible to obviously be a nurse and watch someone who's refusing the one thing that could help them so apologies to all the brilliant hospice nurses that i have been uh, just yeah it's very ignorant about what i was saying i didn't know i didn't have a clue um and it comes up in this one as well and we are also a bit flippant about this so sorry this was definitely recorded before some of your emails so yeah i am sorry about that i won't be flippant about it anymore thank you anyway it's an amazing conversation i am so so glad that he came in to talk to me so here is dustin lance back talking to me about his brother and his mum Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer, producer and director, filmmaker, Dustin Lance Black. Hello. Hi. <laughs> After just agreeing with you to say filmmaker, I was like, oh, and all those other things. Um, because we were just talking about the fact that you, you won an Oscar. But I want to congratulate you for your latest achievement, which yeah. is winning a gold at the British Podcaster Awards. Yes. A, a party. <laughs> is it called a party? Well, no one's given it a thing yet. I'm calling it that. Yeah, I think yeah. it should be a potty because that's better. And it's like, it's sponsored by Dax, so you're gonna want to go for like a a Dax, do you? That doesn't sound like an award. I have to tell you, the host of that show was she was gorgeous, hilarious, yeah, and it moved at the quickest clip I've ever ever experienced in an award show. Yeah, it was she was fantastic. We had to get her name. I I, yeah, I I think it was Carrie Adloy. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds about right. I'm not gonna let people think it was someone else. (laughs) (laughs) I want I want that glory. That was such a fun night. We should ban speeches from every award show from here on out. A lot of people don't like, so the British podcast was they don't have speeches to try and get things moving. But you were a fan of that. Having been to the Oscars, is the, how long is the Oscars? Is it like ridiculous? S- 17 hours, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you watch the I highlights, think it's like three it's or four hours, yeah. Oh my God. Do you I get know. like starving are you, or are you just too nervous? I was too nervous. Yeah. 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 But once your categories, like, I guess because you won. Your adrenaline must have been yeah. absolutely on fire. In fact, you you my category came up really early that oh, year, did it? and so uh, I I just went right back to the press room, and in that oh. press room are all the previous winners from you know decades yeah, past, yeah. which is an amazing room. So you know Whoopi Goldberg and Robert De Niro, they're just all in there, just like everybody from your childhood cinema experience. Yeah, truly, it's unbelievable. Wow. And then so I start drinking champagne, of course, but you can't get drunk. Why? Well, adrenaline, I guess, cancels out oh, the effect. Oh, yeah. So you have so much adrenaline because you've just spoken. Yeah, you've just, just given won a speech in an front Oscar, of Oscar, yeah, which is like that. what we all, the joke, the best thing that anyone can ever do in our industry, the sort of joke, oh, yeah, when I won my Oscar, it'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's not true. <laughs> no, obviously. <laughs> yeah, who did you see them? Did you talk, did you have any like, was there anybody in that room that you were like, I cannot believe I'm meeting you? Was there a particular 
always just. Oh, uh, I mean, it's it. always that's sort of that's sort of our business, isn't it? Yeah, you get yeah, to rub yeah. shoulders, no elbows. No, our business. El- I'm in podcasting, so yeah. <laughs> I had the British podcast. Was you seem to be rubbing shoulders was, with uh, Robert De Niro? There were cool people at that award. There show. were there were cool people, but Robert De Niro sadly did not make it to King's Place. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe next year. How dare he? He should do a podcast. God, I'd love to hear his podcast. He is he is really uh, rather outspoken. Um, uh, about the administration in the United States right now in a, in a great he? way. Yeah, oh, that's good. Strong and funny, and oh. goes right after that that oh, orange nice. shaded man in the White House. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's good. I guess it's that time, isn't it? Where like, you know, when you live in like calmer times, you might not know how people feel about things because mm-hmm. it's just like, well, you know, everything's ticking on. But when we live in the times we are now, people like really start going, "Oh no, I'm against this." Yeah, <laughs> I want that. I want that in the history books that I was against this. Like, which is good. He's one ways. of those. Okay, good. Because yeah. also you discover the other people who are like, no, I think he's fine. You're like, oh. That's all of my family. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's all my family uh, in the South. Yeah. That's the same, like the equivalent here, which obviously is not as extreme, but when, and this will annoy some people, when you have family members that like voted leave. Yeah. So I've got family members that voted leave. Like, yeah. And it's just like, you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Should we have that conversation? Should we not have that conversation? Like, yeah, it's, it's you have to have the conversation, but that's sort of yeah. what. But I think beforehand, I didn't think you did because it was like beforehand, before the referendum, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, well, you know, that's your opinion. Okay, like let's just tiptoe around it. Now, now they bloody won. <laughs> I'm like, no, we need to talk. We need to talk about <laughs> well, <clears throat> what you did because we assumed. <laughs> I think before Brexit and the rise of Trump oh, yeah. and, and, and and some of the conservative, strange, fear-filled, mm. division-filled yeah. movement around the globe, I think we all thought that nonsense couldn't win, yeah. that truth would just win out on its own. I and think I think especially we have a sense of narrative and you're like, guys, we did that episode. <laughs> like, we've done that. Like, yeah. all the characters have moved past the far. Like, we've, we've come to a place of enlightenment. No, why are you all... What are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> What's it's happening? A, yeah. It's yeah. cyclical. It's yeah. A, you know, I always I always say history is a, a pendulum, not a straight line. And yes. it's just... It's, yeah. it's, it's about the generation, the current generation being aware enough uh, and strong enough to, to together push back so that yeah. pendulum doesn't swing too far back because, yeah, yeah, boy, yeah. it can. Oh, my God, I know. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. where we are now. I mean, we're not grieving the uh, state of the nations, but we could easily. So, um, Dustin, who are we remembering today? It can be more than one person, as it often is you in know, this chair. I, uh, I mean, that's what so much of, I mean, not to plug my book, no, but, but yeah. that's what so much of what the uh, book that I just wrote is about. And what's the book called? It's called Mama's Boy. Okay. And... Um, over the past, I guess, five years now, almost everyone I know, friends, certainly many family members, uh, have all died. Mm. So whether that's my mother, my brother, my best friend. Wow. My, oh, it's, I, my, um, I had two aunts, my only, uh, he's a step-grandfather, but he's my only grandfather, uh, my mentor as a writer, they all and and for, and unexpectedly, I don't think any wow. of it was was expected. It was it was either cancer or drug overdose. My composer and creative collaborator. Oh my uh, god! So yeah, it's been. It, it, it there was a time there where I said to Tom because I met him this time. I said I, I just every day I just wake up and and wonder who's next. And oh, that we had a. I'm not as bad as that. When my, so my dad died, then my grandpa died, then all these like great aunts and got like you know it's just family members and my mum used to say like you know there was a time there was just like more funerals in the year than birthdays kind of yeah. thing and every time the phone rang my mum was like oh god who now 
like that kind of because you just become like you know you get you get in the black dress out you're like okay where are we going whose funeral is That's it today right. like but that is a lot you get the speech done yeah you know i had i had a conversation i'm gonna name drop uh i had a conversation with clint eastwood when i was making J. good Edgar. name drop. yeah good name drop. and you know he's in his 80s mm. and um and he said to me i've stopped reading the trades because in uh. the trades there are obituaries and i i'm sick of seeing my friends go one by one by one on oh a weekly basis God. and and i thought well i guess that's what if if you're fortunate enough to live yeah. a healthy life into your 80s one of the things you'll have to deal with is yeah is that weekly or monthly mm. funeral I just never expected that that would start in my 30s. Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so who died first? Was it your mum in this? My brother. Your brother, okay. Yeah. So My brother well, kicked off the train. <laughs> Everybody got on board. He started a fashion. There must be quite a party wherever they all are. <laughs> and what was your brother's name? Uh, my brother's name was Marcus. Marcus, I love yeah. that name, Marcus. Yeah. Um, and how? so how old was he when he died? So Marcus, I think he would have been 40, 39 okay. or 40. okay. Um, and how long ago? Just how long ago was this for you? So where are you at with your seven years ago? Okay. I guess yeah. So, so it's been longer than five years. Yeah. So what happened with what happened with Marcus? How did he die? So he um, he this is this is what happens in America. Mm. He had worked at Sears Auto Garage his whole life, like okay. adult life, and um, he also was like a partier. He smoked and drank and mm-hmm. did all kinds of things. He had a good time, and he came out of the closet which was a huge shock to all of us. Wow. Because he was, uh, we shouldn't lean on stereotypes, but he was about the most butch member of our entire family. <laughs> he, he watched NASCAR. Yeah, he yeah. He hunted animals. He like, I know. There were no hints, basically. <laughs> there were absolutely no hints. None. Not to gender, stereotype in any way, but yeah. None. And he, um, and he came out. I mean, it, it made sense in retrospect. He hadn't had a girlfriend in a decade. And, yeah. Um, but when he came out, he started to, he cleaned up immediately. He got off. Drugs without any help. Wow, because, yeah, okay, I guess that. He, he still that smoked been... some cigarettes, but he also left Sears Auto Garage uh, right. and went back to school. Wow. And it just was, I think he just finally was able to start living his life. He was able to date and fall in love, oh. and he wasn't hiding a secret. There wasn't yeah. shame anymore. And he just started to light up, and, um, and he started to pee blood, and he thought it was an STD. And so he hid it for a while. And then because he had left Sears Auto Garage for school, he no longer had health insurance. <sighs> so when he when when months and months later it still wasn't better, he he went uh, to a clinic that gave him medicine for an mm-hmm. STD without doing any tests. And then when it still didn't get better, he went to uh, wait in a free clinic line because that's what you have to do and mm-hmm. the care there is terrible. And they misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed. And by the time... A year had gone by of peeing blood and bad diagnoses from, you know, half-rate doctors. Mm. Uh, it, it it had there they found a, a massive tumor in his bladder, oh, um, and he had bladder cancer, which should have been absolutely treatable, uh, survivable. Um, oh. They took it out; it immediately grew back, and they had to remove his bladder, and then. A month or so later, he called me in tears and he said, I can't move. And it had spread to his spine. Oh. And it, um, you know, and, it, and just in a country that doesn't have any health care, yeah. I, I flew out to Michigan where he was 
and took him to a hospital with my credit card. And the doctor there just said, what do you want me to do? I can't cut your brother in half. Just incredibly callous. Mm. You know, if, if he lived in this country, he'd be alive right now. That's so... It's so shocking in this day and age. And I think as an English person, it's really... Like, we hear these stories, but because I'm, you know, a child of the NHS, it's been there all my life. Like, I remember the first time I discovered other countries didn't have it. And I was really confused. I just couldn't get my head around it. Because I was like, it's like, you know, when you've grown up in a hot, sunny country and you can't imagine where, like, people are cold. And and it's still so shocking that in 2019, like stories like this exist that sound almost like Victorian, you know, that is just... And in a country where there's plenty oh, of money. So to, much, yeah, prosperity. You know, I, I always say, I can tell, listen, the NHS isn't perfect. No, I do my homework, I read absolutely not. the it newspaper, and, yeah. and I know there's things that need to be better uh, um, within it, but boy, don't take it for granted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. and, and see if you can't strengthen it. Uh, because what we do, what we have in the United States... Uh, is healthcare for the rich yeah. and um, early death for the poor. Uh, it's the reason why one of the only countries where the maternal death rate is going up. There's more peop- more more women dying giving birth this year than last year. Oh and it's God. been going up. So uh, that's what you have when you don't have a healthcare system. And I, I lost my brother to that. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I didn't think that we'd talk about him but it's the one that I haven't been able to sort out. Mm. Because I remember him asking, you know, why is this happening now? I'm just, I know. I'm finally yeah. out. I'm just starting to live my life. I remember um, as I was packing his stuff up to get him back to Virginia, I tell this story in the book, um, from Michigan so that he could spend one last Christmas with my mom. I found a letter from the dean of his college and he had made the dean's list. This is my brother who had always been, you know, he was the screw-up. Yeah. And yeah. now he's on the dean's list. And so when he asked that question, why now, I there's no answer for there's it. There's no fucking answer for it. There just isn't. And it's that's incredibly difficult and painful because... You love you love him. You want you want to yeah. offer something that makes sense. And I you know, my heart goes out to you and, and to him that something like that would happen just as you sort your life out, you know? That just as you start going, Okay, I'm not gonna live like this. I am gonna be who I am and I'm gonna go back to school. Like that is just oh Yeah, it was a, it was really brutal. You know, we were all so excited for him and proud of him. Is he your only brother? Or? No, I have. So I have one last living <laughs> <laughs> relative. Wrapped in cotton wool. <laughs> I have some cousins yeah. and uh, and a couple of aunts mm. left. But, uh, yeah, I have a little brother who lives in Austin, Texas. Right, okay. And, um, you know, I've been collecting rings because my, my we all wore these little, we were a very close family. It was mm. three boys and my mom who was paralyzed. So we raised my mom wow. as much as she raised us. And uh, and so when we started going to college, moving around the world, we all got these rings, right? So me and my brothers and my mom. And I've been, I have my mom's ring now around this yeah. necklace and I have my brother's ring next to mine. And I told my little brother... You fucking better keep that ring to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it. I don't want it. So I don't want to see it. You keep it on. That yeah. is it. That's the deal. Oh, my God. Bless you. That is so hard. And were you living here when you had to sort of go back and help him out? No, I wasn't living here yet. So I was still uh, in L.A. Right, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I hadn't. I it it must have been about seven years ago. I'm getting all the dates confused oh, because it, I don't think you've been through that much. It's quite blurry. Like. He, 
here's a funny thing. I mean, I, you know, because when you, you start going through your loved one's things and you start mm. learning a lot about them, I met Tom really shortly after that. And Tom wow. had just lost his father. Yeah. And one of the ways we connected was we were both in grief. Yeah. And, uh, and we'd both lost our heroes. Yeah. You know, my big brother, his father. And, um, and so I, I told him lots of stories about my big brother, and he told me lots of stories about his father, and you, fall in, you can fall in love in that space. Yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things is you go ba- I went back through within that, you know, next year, his social media. Oh, wow, of course. Because you can get, you yeah, can learn yeah. so much. I mean, yeah. the good and the bad, let me tell you. <laughs> you learn things about your brother. But I went through it, and one of the first things I saw uh, was the the accounts that he followed oh, and he followed three fan sites one of them was a nascar fan site <laughs> yeah. and one of them was tom daly no that's hilarious so i think though they never met they just missed each other uh, oh yeah. that's so nice there's something really nice about that that that's yeah. like because i think i know how important it is when you've lost someone and then you meet new people and they never get to meet them and it's it's like there's a part of you that's like, well, I love this per- this new person, this person is brilliant, and I'm so excited, but there's that little part of you that's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, like, just you in a room with that person would have been, oh, well. Brilliant. You know, it would have been brilliant, but you, yeah. you know, you let it go, and you go, okay, that's my life, and that's why I'm living, but yeah, that's, to have any connection, I think, is really, gives you that kind of special, like, oh, he would have, he would have approved. <laughs> he was oh, a yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have tried to move in on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He would have made yeah. a move. Uh, he would have definitely. And, you know, it sounds like he was a pretty hot butch guy. So. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> he was a tough guy. Yeah. And that's really interesting. We talk about a lot on the show because, obviously, so my dad died when I was 15. So yes. I'm what we call an analog griever in that social media didn't exist. Oh, yeah. So the digital grievers, these people sort of post-2000, like you have all this stuff, like this sort of bizarre knowledge that, like you said, and I've never thought about that. Of like you can really... Um, build a person from their social media like you said what they liked what they followed what they didn't follow the comments they leave like, the letters that they wrote to people the notes yeah. who they were flirting with yeah I mean, it was really yeah so was that kind of fascinating to see marcus from that point of view i guess because you're a little brother as well so you're seeing him more in a, like how yeah. he was in public but. he i mean we were very very close in mm. particular the end so there weren't any big surprises yeah. i was more taken with um the depth of the relationships he had built Aww. around the world with people like he really like to write a long letter and got long letters in return, which isn't what social media is usually. So I, and there were people who I had to, you know, eventually post that he was gone. And then it was an, there were some of the people who it was clear he had had these long lasting, deep relationships with around the globe. (laughs) And then I sort of had to pick up the pieces and, um, and just let them know what had happened. And, and some of them I stayed in contact with. He had good taste in people. Wow. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because it's like a mix of the old and the new because he was using new media in the way that you'd use letters. Yeah. So then like it's like a Victorian gentleman sitting down to have to write the letters of condolence to everybody and then getting them back and stuff. Whereas now, like you said, social media tends to be like, okay, hi, yeah, sure, bye, no thanks. Like, but to actually, yeah, and I guess, and that is, I would say people perhaps like that weird generation that I think we probably sort of straddle of like we do remember when you used to get letters from friends but Mm -hmm. we also have Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that so I know like my cousin is someone who she's younger than me much younger 
you know, she never wrote a letter to her friend. Whereas, like, I used to write letters at school to your friends you were at school with because it was, like, fun to get a letter. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we still remember. So I guess maybe your brother had that, like, still yeah. remembering what it was like to communicate with someone in that long-form way. I think my mom, yeah, gave us that. Yeah. I still do handwritten oh, thank you, you notes and stuff, sure. And the, it's hilarious because this, in this day and age, I get thank you cards back for my thank you notes and I have to teach people like that's not how it works welcome to England <laughs> no thank you no thank you yeah I'm like no 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 I was thanking you for something yeah, you yeah. just keep it that's you just it. put it that's done yeah you put it aside there um, so how much longer after Marcus uh, Marcus passed away then when did was it your mum who was next yeah so uh, within the next uh, two three years oh that must have been so hard for you that must have just been like sucker I mean, punch they're not unrelated Right, uh, I, yeah. My mom had been paralyzed since she was two. Um, wow. What, I'm ruining I... the whole book, by the way. No. All these things, I'm giving everything away. And um, and so she had, she had had polio. Right, okay, yeah. And so as you get older uh, with polio, a, a thing called post-polio syndrome mm. sets in, which your muscles are already incredibly weak. Yeah. She only had use of her arms. Wow. And, you know, her neck and her head. And a quarter of one lung um, capacity, oh, ability to breathe, a quarter yeah. of one. Her, but she did just fine with that. But post-polio syndrome... It's it's as if basically the muscles are so taxed. Mm. What little you have had your life was so taxed. They just begin to weaken further. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she had a cancer. She got breast cancer. She beat it. Uh, but the uh, the chemotherapy and the radiation in particular uh, further weakened what little muscles she oh, had left. God. And she still. The doctor said she was incredibly strong. They, they said her heart's incredibly strong. She's at least got ten years. And um, my mom did have a – she was tough. She mm. had a strong heart, strong everything. And um, and the grief of losing your son. Oh, God, yeah. It's, she just couldn't – she couldn't do it. Mm. And the phone calls started coming in. I was in L.A. She was in Virginia. And she just – she sounded like a different person. Mm. And she kept talking about uh, how she felt she was the worst mother and how – how could she not keep her son alive? My mom was in medicine. So how could she have missed the signs? How yeah. How is it that she couldn't help? And she blamed herself. And you, not to plug the book again, yeah, but yeah. she was an amazing mother. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and so to hear her like that, I, I, it was really heartbreaking. And I couldn't figure out for the yeah. life of me how to get her to understand that this wasn't her fault. But it's hard, I think, when you're the child as well, because it's almost like that, and, you know, you're a parent now, like that, it, it can't come from upwards, like in a way. Like, you know, I sometimes wonder if it, like, it needs to come from across, like to other peers. Like it's hard as yeah. a child sometimes to say, oh, no, you're a good mum, because they're like, you're a child. What do you, you don't, you have an opinion. <laughs> is like, you know, they always think, no, no, you don't understand, because that's the, the relationship has always been like that. And it's... Although ours wasn't, mainly because of how she was. Yeah, I mean, course, I was a peer... And with my mom, I mean, at six years old, I became the man of the house and I was raising my little brother and my big brother was off discovering, you know, figuring out how to roll a joint <laughs> right, <laughs> at yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. old. So, you know, we talked, we talked like co-parents mm. of, of my little brother um, most days. Wow, daily. So that... And so, but it's, there was no one could get through to her and, yeah. and, and she did not want to go to a counselor mm. or a therapist. She thought those were for sick people. And I said to her, no, I think the sick people don't go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it's That's always it. the healthy ones who yeah. know that it could be helpful. So there was uh, nothing. And she just watched her get, you know, weaker and weaker and weaker. Mm. 
And then I flew home. She called herself a dinosaur twice on a phone call. And I, I, I thought, that's, I know what happened to the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And my mom is good with words. She doesn't use them carelessly. Mm. Uh, I hope I got a little bit of that from <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah. And, and so I knew it meant something. And I went home for my birthday and we had cake and opened little presents she had ordered off her laptop for me. And, and she just couldn't sleep. She wasn't feeling well. Uh, she thought she had a bladder infection. Mm. And I was London bound. I, you know, I was supposed to, for my 40th birthday, I was going to go see Tom. Mm. But I, I, had, I stopped in Virginia for those couple of days just to make sure she was okay. I convinced her to go to the doctor. My stepdad, who's wonderful, was on his way home to pick her up and take her. And I got the call in the cab on the way to the airport that she had um, lost consciousness. Mm. And, um, and her heart had stopped. And my stepdad, thank God, was a medic in the army. Wow. And so he resuscitated her and um, got her to the hospital. I'm, I missed an important part of this one, if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's absolutely ruining the book. You don't need to buy it. <laughs> Forget the book. You don't need to buy it. I'm just doing it. The, um, as, as I was going, as I was leaving, she, she was going to go to the doctor and she wanted me to help her get dressed. She always wanted to be pretty before she mm, left the house. Yeah, yeah. And so I got her, her, I got her some uh, jeans and, and socks, and I helped her get dressed like I had since I was six years old. Mm. And then as I, as I was putting on the socks, she grabbed my hand. <sighs> and she looked me in the eye, and she said, fight for my life. I didn't know what she meant. No. I'd, it's not a thing... That she she was not like that. Yeah, she, it wasn't a normal. And um, and also none of us thought anything was going to happen. Yeah. And I walked out the door and I made a joke because I you know, listen, you do it very well, but you know, a little graveside humor. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, of course. And I just said, I said, Mom, because we'd been up for three nights straight. Yeah. She'd been very ill. We got almost no sleep. We'd eaten an entire pack of Oreo cookies together, <laughs> and um, I just said. Oh, mom, it's been fabulous. I will see you soon in my mm. campiest voice possible. And I knew something was strange because she didn't answer. She just like looked at me. So I arrive at the hospital. Uh, you know, my taxi driver turns around when I get that call oh, and bless him, God. we're chasing chasing the ambulance. And um and I arrive and I my stepdad has made sure they know just to let me straight in mm. to this uh emergency room. And they do and and there she is, and her eyes are just wide open as they're trying to intubate her so that she can breathe. Mm. And I knew my job was to fight for her life. Mm. And so I, I said that I did everything I could and spared no expense, got the doctors to try everything they could. And six days later, her heart stopped. Oh. So it was, a re- it was another really tough one because with my brother... If I tell this story, mm. we had a fabulous goodbye. Mm. With my mom, it was pure pain mm. and terror in her eyes. With an with a, an order to fight for her life, and I absolutely felt knew that I had failed. That's so. It's so hard because that's such a. I just want to take a moment for yourself and for your mom because it sounds like her death came out of a really painful situation, you know, like yeah. with Marcus and everything. And 
you know, and people have talked about this on the show before, like the loss of a child is just, doesn't matter how old they are, obviously it's, you know. And to jump back, my father died in the April and my grandfather died in the December. Oh. And, um, oh. I, yeah, I don't talk about it much, but it, it broke him. So a similar thing. 100% broke him. And it was just, being the grandchild in that situation was unusual because I sort of didn't understand. But I could see and what something you just said. He wasn't himself. This was before my dad died. He was a very gregarious raconteur, this Welsh lawyer. Like you knew he was in the room, <laughs> and he was just broken. I mean, it's such a cliche, but you know, he was a broken man. And what? Sorry, excuse my ignorance, but what? How did what happened? So, so my dad. Yeah. So my dad had died of cancer. Okay. And actually, not dissimilar in some ways, in that he was diagnosed in February, then dead by the April. So and and he'd been very healthy. Like he was training for an Ironman. He was a marathon runner. He was a triathlete. So it'd been like so he had pancreatic cancer, which oh, doesn't yeah. have any symptoms. Right. So often people get diagnosed and then like you know a week later or two days later, or we were lucky to have like two months. They're dead because it's like people are like oh you're really ill. No one realised. So I think for my grandpa, it just and I've said this, but he just kept saying to me, "It's not right. It's yeah. not right." That's all he could say. And, you know, I didn't know what to say because I was, like, dealing with the loss of my father. But it was, like, it's very hard to describe. But um, where someone's got, like, something's gone from their heart, from their eyes, from who they are, their personality. The fundamental being has been has been shattered. Yeah. And this was a man who'd survived a concentration camp oh from the Japanese. Goodness. Like So, yeah, he was a tough man. And like you said about your mum, like, they, that he said, like, that made sense. That made sense. You know, they were trying to kill him. Like they, you know, his side were trying to kill them. Right. They locked him up and he survived. He went home. Like, that's sensible. There's like a understanding of that. But when, yeah, you know, a child dies. And he always just said, like, a parent shouldn't bury a child. That's all he ever said to me. It's all the same. Yeah. yeah. And I think he just made that choice to just say, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not sticking around. And that was really hard for everyone else. He <laughs> was like, oh, well, we, well, I'd like you to stick around. And he had a lot of, um, he was asthmatic and he had a lot of lung problems, but he just, like, he just, yeah, his lungs stopped working. And they were sort of like, oh, it might be the asthma, but we were all like, he just... He's done. Didn't want to be here. And I think for your mum to say that to you, of course, like, it's so... You know, she was in so much pain anyway from what she must have been going through, let alone physically, all the mental pain of what happened with her son. But I think... I, I just, well, I can't... I'm not a trained psychotherapist, but I feel like you, you... Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, I know, sorry. But I feel like you didn't You didn't fail because you did fight, and that's all she asked you to do was fight. But in a way, of, you know, her body had given up on what had happened to her, like, internally. There's nothing you can do about that. Like, yeah. And that's what's hard is the lack of control you have over these, you know, these people that you love so much. Like, you can't make their bodies work. Well, I have... You know, I've come... I've. I've come to a more peaceful place mm. with that, and I talk about it in in the book. I swear I'm not here to plug a book, but it's just <laughs> I just came out, or it's coming out, and so. Uh, but in it, um, you know, the last third of the book is, well, what does it mean to fight for someone's life when yeah. they're gone? Yeah, yeah. And is there meaning in that? And is there purpose in that? Uh, and for me, I found purpose in that. Mm. You know, my mom was incredibly conservative, Mormon, military, Southern. Uh, proudly voted Republican most of her life, uh, and she showed the courage and the 
curiosity. Uh, after she found out I was gay and was not happy about it, she showed the courage to fly out to Los Angeles and to meet my gay friends and to figure out, is this what the church says it is? Is it what the South and the military says wow. it is or not? And and she met real human beings, not, you know, political points yeah. or, or not not talking about the law, not talking about the science of it, just people. And I watched how that began to change her. And so, you know, my journey was, okay, if that's my mom's life, was mm. to was was to find a higher plane than politics. Boy, what a time for me to repay that favor yeah. in America. And uh, it's why I wrote the book. It's why in it I tried to honor my mom by showing the courage and the curiosity. I went back to the South in Texarkana and I reconnected with you know, my cousins and you know, uh, these family members I hadn't spoken to in a very, very long time to see if I could find common ground. They all voted for Trump. They're all mm-hmm. conservative. Most are homophobic. Uh, and and I did. It's not as hard as you think. Mm. Uh, my mom had figured something out. And then the even more, I guess, surprising journey to many is that I then, on the success of having made friends and, and reconnected with family and found a bridge to people who are so different— uh, a different part of America, different political leaning. I went back to Salt Lake City, Utah, and met with the Mormon Church. Wow, how is that? <laughs> it was really intense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but you know, I said my mom would not come into that room talking politics or about the law. Mm. Uh, she's going to want to like let's have a conversation as people, and see if we can't figure out something that's bigger than politics and the law. Uh, deeper than mm. that was my mom and and we did and the you know i we you have to hear things you don't want to hear yeah you're yeah. not going to agree on everything no no and and part of that respect and asking and i think this is really important at this day and age as you say and the polarization that's happening and i understand why it's happening but i as someone who's practical and wants to find an end solution you're like the things that you find abhorrent, you're going to have to listen to because the things you're saying, they find abhorrent. Yeah. You know, and you have to put yourself in their shoes and go, well, when I say, like, you know, gay people should be allowed to be married, that to them is abhorrent as what I hear when they're saying they shouldn't. Like, you have to understand, stand in someone else's shoes very briefly to be like, well, I would want them to not be sick when I said my opinion or be yeah. like, oh, my God, that's the worst. You, got so it. You, have, you have to respect it, even if you don't agree with it. I, you know, I what my mom did so well, and I, I tried to do on my journey to fight for her life, whatever that means. As soon as people get onto like their policy position or mm. politics, like gays should or should not be able to get married, you're not talking about yourselves anymore. Yeah. You're talking about this outside. It's this thing that sits outside of you. So she was always good about being like, "Tell me about your marriage. Are you dating anyone? Mm. When was the last time you were in love? What's that like?" And she just could bring it back to the personal. And very soon, before you know it. You know, I can use an example with my cousin, Lynn, who was homophobic. And I was dating, you know, I was with Tom at this point. I think Mm. we were even engaged. And um, I just started talking about her, not about politics, even though I was, I had a Supreme Court case that I was a part (laughs) of going to the, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court for marriage equality. I just started talking about Tom and about how damn expensive it was to fly here all the time to see him Mm. and around the world when he competes. And, you know, I was in the gym all the time trying to, like, find my abs again because, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to have to go to bed in, like, a jumper every night. Yeah, there's stiff competition. Yeah. No, there's, like, impressive, impressive ab work. And before I, you know, there might have been a little whiskey involved, which is sometimes helpful. But before I knew it, he had, um, he started talking about his new girlfriend and the trips she was having him 
take her on wow. and how expensive that was. And I, I, went, I went, oh, yeah, he's comparing his love to mine. Mm. That's huge progress. That doesn't happen when you're talking about no. the law and the politics of it all. And, and I'll tell you, on the book tour in Dallas uh, two weeks ago now, Lynn showed up. Wow. Lynn, Lynn showed up. How was yeah, that? That must have been really amazing. It's really wonderful. But, it, it, you know, he said, also said a lot of things I don't agree with, and yeah. I won't bring them up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we'd started to find some common ground. And, and for a progressive guy like me living, you know, between L.A. and London mm. and, a, and a guy like him who loves Trump and lives in Texarkana, uh, to find common ground, boy, we could use some more of that. That's my. That's how I yeah. have decided what that meant. to fight for my mom's life. That's how she lives on, you know, because I don't know about an afterlife. Mm. I don't have that. And so I put action to the traditions and uh, the beliefs that I love so much about her. And yeah. You just keep them alive. And, you know, I, I have a feeling my son is going to feel like he knows yeah. his grandma Anne and hopefully his uncle Marcus. Because certainly I never met my grandma Koki. She was she had passed away before I was even born. But my mom told so many stories. I just felt like I knew her. Yeah. And I think that's so important as well. Like if that's how you've learned to keep someone alive, I think that's really important. If you've been brought up with them being talked about and celebrate, then, you know, then you are comfortable with it. Then you're in your head. You're not like, oh, once they're dead, we don't talk about, it. you know, your mum taught you that of like, yeah, yeah, Grandma Koki was part of your life. And the stories, I think that's, and especially with children, I mean, we've talked about this on the show, like if you choose to have children, it, it's not that if you don't choose to have children, you don't experience different levels of pain. I get emails. <laughs> so I'm just covering myself. Um, but like, because, you know, yeah, my daughter is too and it brings a new level of how do I keep that person alive I think is really you know yeah. interesting and like when you're you know it's funny like I was reading a book and they don't and books tend to be lots of grannies and grandmas but this book was all about a grandpa to her so I was like reading it and I was like oh and I just saw myself saying um oh you know you have a grandpa and she doesn't understand. And I was like, you know, he's not around anymore, but, you know, his name was this, and that was, that's oh. your grandma used to be married to. And she just looked at me like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But I think it's like starting small of, like, just making them in the conversation so that when someone looks at a photo, they're not like, who's that, you know? I think that's sort of all you can do, really. And I think that's really important. Well, it's important to me anyway. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think part of... The, the the glue that holds family together mm. is tradition. Yeah, it's yeah. that connection to the past that goes into the future. Yeah. It's a really special thing. I mean, we think in our family, we've always made Christmas cookies, mm -hmm. like two nights before Christmas, yeah, and then we frost yeah. them together. And it's just like a little family tradition. But it's incredibly bonding. Yeah. Uh, and it, and, and it, it becomes something that's particular to your family. And also just the knowledge that sitting in that apartment is my grandma Koki's rolling pin that she yeah. rolled the cookies out and then my mom did and now I have it and now I am and the hope that little Robbie Ray <laughs> <laughs> you know in 50 years <laughs> be will rolling out cookies. be rolling out cookies yeah hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Lloyd. I think that's incredible. I think that's what you've done with that statement is really interesting and really powerful because... Like, it, like you said, to find your peace with that is, is so important because, you know, as as we talk about people who die from grief, like it is possible to be broken by these yeah. things. It, I really believe that. But if you can try and see the light in it and find a route through it, like that's sort of how you you just carry on walking, you know, and like her saying that to you, like, I really agree with you. Like, what does that mean? Like, who knows what that fucking means at that moment when she was <laughs> ill anyway, like, and scared anyway, and maybe in pain and all of those things. I just had to write two years worth of writing a book to try and figure out yeah. how I was going to answer that question. Because I had to answer it or else yeah. uh, I would be racked with guilt. I don't like to fail. Yeah. And, um, and I had to figure it out. Yeah. And that was how I did it. And I mean, with, I think... In our family, thankfully, we had an example set by my mom that tears were a sign of strength. Mm. She said, she always said, you know, tears are just a sign that your heart and your your head are healing. It's just, it means like they're getting better. Mm. Um, And so it's what strong people do. Because if you don't cry, you're very fragile inside. And so I was so lucky to have heard that because it helps to know it's okay to cry. Um, so I'll do it all. I've already done it like three times on this <laughs> or started to at least. And, but then I also love, I also think that humor is all right. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that made it okay f- for in my heart that we lost our brother. Can I tell you the story of his, yeah, yeah. his death? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we knew he was going mm. at this point, you know, there was, the doctors had said, send him back home, give him a comfortable bed. Uh, the a nurse came by and hooked up the morphine. He was going quickly. So yeah, they'd given him yeah. six months. This was about, you know, four weeks later. Oh, gosh. This was happening fast. And um, and we knew that the uh, cancer was had moved up the spine and was probably getting, getting into his brain, head. And yeah, so yeah. he was having trouble speaking. We were feeding him 
water on a lollipop. Oh, yeah, the cotton bud. Yeah, yeah, they do that. Yeah, yeah. And he'd suck it off, and he'd stop sucking on it. And it was just clear, and I was, I'll say something maybe I shouldn't, but uh, the nurse with a wink and, you know, said, here's the morphine button. Make your brother as comfortable as you feel comfortable mm. doing. And I was like, oh. Okay. Oh. I have his life in my hands. Mm. And uh, so we're sitting there, and it's becoming very clear. He's refusing water. She'd also told me that's a sign. That's probably mm. it'll happen that day or that night. Yeah. So I said, this is not the fucking way my brother's going to die. Mm. It all felt so sad. And so my little brother said, I'm going to the store. It's almost midnight. So what are you getting at the store? He said, I'll be right back. He comes back with a bottle of Crown Royal. <laughs> And I say, Marcus, are you, are you done with water? And he just said, yeah. I said, what if we dip it in Crown Royal? <laughs> and his eyes went, bing, and shot open. And so we, me and my brother took turns dipping his little sponge into Crown Royal, and he sucked it down and sucked it down and sucked it down. And then Todd, because my brother was a party animal, my little brother Todd got his phone out and put on Bitchin' Camaro by the Dead Milkmen, and we played punk rock music, and his little, my brother's arm, which was so thin now from all the wasting away, rose up and made the sign of the devil and started pumping it into the air, and I laid on the morphine button, and he sucked down Crown Royal, and he was gone within a couple of hours. That's the way to do it, baby. But it gives, you know, it was, we had fun with it. Yeah, but that's like, what I'm hearing is love. Like, that's what you do when you love someone. You look in the face of that death and you're like, you need this and I don't want to do it. I want this to go away. I want the cr- I want the episode to stop so I can pause and have a cup of tea and be like, well, this is really horrible. It's fucking not. It's carrying on. It's in your face. And when you love someone, you... You know, to be very English, but you get in the shit and you stay there and you <laughs> fucking help them through it. Like, yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's really, but what I just keep coming back with this show. Like, what else is there but knowing that you, like, that you and your brothers loved each other so much, you were able to do that for each other. Like, that's isn't that it? Like, that's just it. That you were there with him, you helped him, and you played his punk rock, and it was the luckiest. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, the worst are the ones like uh, my my great writing mentor who mm. got pneumonia. Didn't No one thought anything of it, and he was gone in two days. Oh, my God. Um, just didn't get treatment fast enough, and it, you go septic, I guess, and yeah, you're yeah. gone. Or my uh, composer I was in the middle of writing a rock opera with, and and he'd been sober for some time, and, and he overdosed. He had a relapse and overdose. Mm. And those are the ones, uh, or like my mom, who they said, 10 years, she's in perfect health. Yeah. Those are the ones where you, you it's it, it's harder because you don't get the chance to say goodbye yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. to make sense of it. And in some cases, like the overdose, he was in a hotel room in a different state. I never, you never saw him again. It was just suddenly gone. Yeah. Grief. And mourning is, is more difficult when you can't make it real in some way. Yeah, life. yeah, without that closure of... And it's funny because, like, the circumstances of Marcus' illness were obviously so horrible and traumatic, but then somehow that ending was able to... 
unjumble the horribleness, I guess, of it all, you know, to be like, okay, well, this is awful, but at least this is here. At least this is happening. Like you said, when it's sudden and tragic and you don't see the body and you just get a call, it's it's very shocking, I think. It's really hard for your brain to process. Like, yeah. oh, that person is gone. And when they're not family family, you know, you're not involved, you're like three removed because the family want to be around, especially with something as like tragic as an accidental overdose something like that it's right. you know your grief becomes slightly like what do I do with this because it's not like I still love them and care for them but they weren't like my I can't turn up to a door wailing like I'm just have to carry it around my day to day and also mm. I don't know if you heard this of like your work and your friends aren't like oh how are you because you're like oh yeah someone he knew died like you know what I mean it's like it, right nobody's like oh well yeah his mum died okay he's having a this is a bad year like it's like oh his friend died right Okay, well, do you want to carry on doing this thing? Wow. Is, is that how it was? Maybe I'm being unfair. No, I mean, I do think there's a cultural difference <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> between the UK and certainly where I have lived in the US. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think maybe New Yorkers are more steely, but mm. um, in the South, you know, we get in it. Oh, really? And, and in LA, since people are. You know, our business is 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 character and emotion. Mm, and yeah, yeah. So we get in it. Uh, and I haven't experienced that so much. Wow. I mean, you experience... I, I think we're fortunate that people where I'm from are like, how do we get... Let's get you to cry about it. And then oh. let's get drunk and let's <laughs> laugh about it. And then let's make up stories that make them sound like saints. Let's just yeah. mythologize them. And then let's cry again. And you get like... There's access to tears yeah. and joy and laughter. And there's certainly not the, let's stay strong. Let's be strong for them. Yeah. Right? There's that. I've, I've noticed that here. I want to be strong for you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've noticed <laughs> that in interviews and stuff here as yeah. I've been talking about even the book. Oh, uh, should we move off of that topic then? Yeah, And yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what you do because on the other side of those tears – are all the lovely memories yeah, and the, the joy and the, the humor love, yeah. and then you can sort of make fun of them again yeah. and make but you got get on the other side of those tears is is better mental health emotional mm. health and an opportunity to get going again <laughs> right i think but i think i mean this is like the one room in england where you won't be moved off your tears <laughs> you'll be like you want to cry some more that's fine but it is and we we did the, the Marie curie event about grief with yourself, myself, Gary Andrews, who's been on the show, and Simon Thomas, and yeah. Annika Rice, who's also been on the show. And we were talking about the difference between English and American, which I, I think is really interesting, having been to L.A. myself. And one of the most horrible things about being an English person in America is that the lie you were told, that they are the same as you. Like, this lie comes <laughs> crashing down. And it's like, oh, you know, America, like, they speak your language. Right. It's not no. like France. Americans will understand you and you're standing in America being like nobody I might as well speak French <laughs> we are so different people do not understand me yeah. and that's not accents just like the the way we are and I think especially when it comes like you said to grief there is this you know the stiff upper lip hangover um, which my parents certainly didn't have because my parents were hippies so they were very much mm. like which is why I think I've ended up doing this show because right. my parents were like we talked about everything we had family meet it was very LA yeah like, that's very LA yeah like it was intensely I get in trouble here all the time this is <laughs> off topic probably but I get in trouble here constantly and Tom's always like Lance you can't do that because someone will say oh this is how this is done this is the procedure or this is what you need to do to be able to do X, Y, and Z and I, I say the, the, a word comes out of my mouth that makes people think I'm mad. I say, why? 
<laughs> don't question it. It's just like, how it is. That's yeah. the rules. I'm like, yeah. what? What? What's that rule do? Yeah. I'm sure it was useful at some point, but w- what's that rule good for now? But I love you for that because that's how I feel often in this country. I'm like, but why? But why do I have to do that? And that's how I got in trouble at school all the I time. Because I was like, but why do I have? Why are we doing this? Why am I wearing a uniform? Why do I have to respect you? Just because you're like all of this. And my parents brought me up with this like question everything. No authority is final. You must get in a lot of trouble here. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I was just raised in a culture where that's what you do, and yeah. in America. For the most part, rules are made for breaking, and we yeah. change them all the time. We have elections <laughs> all the time. Every year there's an election. We can change our mind at any yeah. given moment, and it's what we love about our democracy. Is but we're that like, country is founded on let's throw it away and start this new world. And I think I am obsessed with thinking about the way you have to look at a country's massive history. And when mm-hmm. you look at like how much history we have, there's a reason we like rules, because there's a lot of messy stuff. Yeah. There's been a lot of people arguing over a lot of bits of land. And so... Breaking rules makes us very nervous. Mm. So when you moved here, did you find people were like, when you were like, oh, you know, my mum's just died or my butt, like were people like, oh, right, okay, or was it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> people didn't really want to talk about it. It makes people really uncomfortable, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. Um, and I, I, I hope I'm not sharing too much, but I, I, I don't think Tom had really grieved the loss of his father yet. Mm. And it's just like a cultural thing. And yeah. Tom has the most lovely mom on the planet. But still, there just wasn't the same space created that I was used to yeah. where you could just cry and stomp your feet and shout at the moon yeah, uh, and yeah. that that's okay. And we had to have conversations about it. I was like, I think we, I think we both need to like be very open about our feelings yeah. with each other if this is going to work. And it's one of the best conversations I think I've ever had in mm-hmm. a relationship because we both at that point went, yeah, okay, let's be brave enough to share our feelings about everything. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that really helped. Yeah. And it I'm, doesn't mean you go around crying all the time. It's yeah, probably just going to happen a few times. Yeah, I think it's the fear. I definitely had that for years and years. Now, obviously, I'm much more open. But for years, my biggest fear, like, because it was so overwhelming as a teenager and I didn't really understand it, and then people would try and you know, in the English way, try and get me to open up. I just had this fear, like, if I start crying, I'm not going to stop. Yeah. I'm, it will be my thing. life. And you're literally envisioning, I'll be the girl that just sobs for the rest of her life and, and I'll just become this pool and then people will just literally not talk to me because my face will just be a waterfall. <laughs> and you sort of think, I'll never be able to speak again, I'll never be able to do comedy. You can't go onto a gig and make jokes when you're just like, am I dad died? I don't know, it could be very special. <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually. It's very unique. There's something in there. Um, <laughs> but I think that's what was such a fear of me, of like, if I open if, and people would, you know, try and open the door. I'd be like, if you open the fucking door, it is not going to close. Mm-hmm. Like, it will not close. And that was yeah. my fear. So I just kept it fucking closed. And it took me 18 years. Wow. And then I finally went to therapy. And I remember the first time, like, first couple of times, all I could do was cry. I couldn't even speak. I was just crying. And I was so cross. I was like, I knew this would happen. I fucking knew I'd just cry. And I would leave the session. And I would, you know, you go, you sort of have a moment. You think, oh, stop crying. And. Sort of, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, and I, but you have to get through that first hill, like through the first a terrible metaphor. But you have to like get through the first bit of the crying to realize you will get to the other side. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people, and perhaps it's an English thing, stay within that moment, stay within that area. I'm not going to start the crying in case it... And so they don't know there is something on the other side. There is safety. You will stop the crying. It will be okay. It won't overwhelm you. But you have to really trust someone to get through to that. 
you know, it's obviously what's happening with you and Tom. Like, to have someone who's going to hold your hand and be like, I will make sure you stop crying. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Will, I will actively, like, get you tissues and be like, now exactly. it's, now it's you time. You need the tissue person. And you also yeah. need the person who's going to run out and get you ice cream afterward. Yeah. Because that's really important. Oh, my goodness. I think, you know, many of my friends uh, are Jewish and bless them. I think they've figured it out. They just feed the pain. <laughs> I swear, when I lost my brother and my mom, we had the wake in my house, mm. and there was so much damn food. Mm. I mean, it does. Comfort food's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It, it really is. is. So, where are you up to? With so you said your so your mom was about five years ago. And your brother, yeah, I'm losing track of it yeah, all now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it blurs. It really does blur. Yeah, I'm trying and, to remember the dates, but yeah, it would have been. I mean, Tom met her, so it would have been oh. five years. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that must she, be really important to you. That, mm-hmm. yeah. He came for, he flew over for Christmas. And Christmas is like what my mother built her life around. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. Was 364 days of the year were for shopping and preparing for Christmas. <laughs> so the fact that he jumped on a plane and came all that way wow. really meant a lot to her. And I knew she approved because um, he, when he left, I stayed behind for a few more days, till New Year's, I think. And... Um, and I caught her in bed on her uh, little tablet, yeah, yeah. Google image searching pictures of Tom and Speedos. <laughs> so I think, think she she dug him. <laughs> like mother, like brother, like yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. All big fans of Tom. All Dave. big fans. Great. I mean, I mean, he's chosen the right family. That's, holy that's moly. <laughs> the correct. That's how it should be, right? They all yeah, loved him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how are you feeling now, now you're a dad and, you know, you're... It's been five and seven years, and you've written the book. Now it's out there. Is there a part of you that feels a bit lighter? Like, I think so. Mm. I also feel like um, something in recording all of it, uh, who they were and what their stories were, mm. the many things that were so worthy of passing on to my son. Mm. But I just feel safer and secure. I feel like, okay, I haven't lost all of her like she's not alive anymore she's mm. not there anymore i mean there's all that but but the lessons the things she worked hard to instill in me as a parent now exist i've i've codified them they are yeah. there they're on i can keep it that one copy and not that i won't be telling him all the stories myself but i think <laughs> uh there's there is that if something ever happened to me and i don't know why i feel safe about i feel like it is a way that the chain will will be unbroken still mm. even though he never got to meet her uh, there was so much worthy about her. So I, I guess lighter is a good word to use. Yeah. And we didn't... What was your mum's name? Oh, Anne. Anne, yeah. Anne. Well, Dustin Lansbach, thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Anne and Marcus. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You can follow Dustin on Twitter at DLanceBlack and his book Mama's Boy is out now. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios and the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.